And in the book of John, like, Jesus has been talking about how his time is coming. Like, my hour is not here, but his, his hour is coming. His hour is at hand, and now it's go time. Stuff just got real. Right? We've seen through the book of John. And the purpose of the book of John is to reveal Jesus and to real, uh, reveal uh, his person and his work. When I, like to, when I talk about Christ, I like to talk about him in those two regards. You've got the person of Jesus, who he is. The fact that he's Messiah, the fact that he's powerful, the fact that he's compassionate and merciful and perfectly loving. But then you also have his work. And this is where we're at. We're on to his work. We've seen over the first 17 chapters the beautiful person of the eternal word of God. And now we're getting to his work. They just celebrated Passover. They were in the upper room together, sharing the Last Supper. They just crossed the Brook Kidron, as we talked about last week, that brook that would still be stained red with the blood of the Passover lambs. The spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world is about to do his work. He's on his way to be our Passover lamb, to shed his blood, to cover our sins, as we just sang about to pay the price that we could never afford, which is death. Jesus, the only suitable sacrifice. He is perfect, he is sinless, and he is the God-man. Man can only die. He's perfect. So man can only die, but only God can forgive sins. Only God, the eternal word, can provide a sacrifice that is truly once and for all. Jesus is the perfect, sac perfect sacrifice. So in the garden, stuff just got real. No more mere talk about the hour has come or my time is coming. It's now here. Judas and a small army have come for Jesus. They've arrested him, and they've led him to the high priest. So let's pick up there this morning. If you have your Bible, like I said, John chapter 18. We'll start in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Anna sent him, bound to Caiaphas the high priest. 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Let's pray and let's dive into our text today. Father, again, we come before you, and I ask once again for humble hearts, God, mine included. God, as we come to your word with a familiar story, a familiar text, God, I pray that these hearts would still be soft before you and that you would open our eyes to the beauty of you. God, that you would open our eyes to our own condition. And God, that we would humble ourselves and surrender to you again. That we might truly be your church to the glory of your name. That we might truly be your people, called by you, chosen by you, redeemed by you, saved by you, and now commissioned for your glory. That we might truly be your church to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You ever look back on a situation and think, that wasn't my best moment? You ever look back on a situation and you go like, I should have handled that a little bit differently. I've got plenty of those moments in my life. That wasn't my finest hour. It's facing a tough situation. Maybe there was some conflict. Maybe an opportunity to stand up for something or stand up against something. And you didn't handle it just right. Like, ever pray for an opportunity to share Jesus? And, and I would encourage you, like, if you don't have that practice, like, a lot of times we, like, just kind of meander into our day. But, like, wake up in the morning. You know your purpose to share Jesus with the world. Wake up and make that prayer. But then when that time comes, like, and, and God answers that prayer like he faithfully does, like, that's why we don't pray that prayer, because we know if we pray that prayer, he's going to open it. Like, he's going to answer that prayer. It's like he puts it up on a tee for you, like a softball toss, like just easy. It's that easy layup, and you know that there's that situation, there's the open door, and that God made this happen for you, and you blow it. Anybody? You blew it. You were nervous. You were scared. You didn't have the conviction or the strength to stand in that moment and to share the love and the life of Jesus. What are they going to think about you? What are they going to say about you? Because of fear, you blew it. In light of what just happened in the garden, the betrayal, the soldiers, the torches, the weapons, and the ultimate arrest of Jesus, could you imagine what the disciples are experiencing right now? Could you imagine their feeling of unrest and fear and turmoil? The uncertainty now that faces them? Like, we've been walking with this guy for three years. He's been talking about his kingdom. He's been talking about, like, his, his, his messiahship. We know that he is sent of God, and this is not how we thought it was going to play out. A lot of our text today keys in on is the emotions and the response of Peter. As Pastor Tommy down in Bayview points out, remember what Jesus said this night was recorded in the book of Matthew. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, 
When Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So it's not just Peter, as if he's got some deep character flaws. A lot of times I think we like to pick on Peter a bit, and and we will today. Just so you know, we're going to pick on Peter a little bit. But it's not just Peter. Jesus said that they were all going to fall away. Fear and hiding and denying in the face of turmoil, as if it were expected. Like Jesus knew, like he expected this to happen. He expected this natural human response to such chaos and turmoil and fear. And that response would ultimately lead to denial. That that response would ultimately, like like this natural human response to this fear and turmoil, that it would ultimately lead to denial. And see, you and me, we're not any different. You and me, we are just the same as these disciples. We're just like Peter. Peter who ends up being the leader of the disciples. Peter who ends up being the first preacher in the book of Acts. The leader, one of the leaders in the first church. And here in our text, he seems to blow it in a huge way. We've too, at times, blown it. We were faced with trials that bring about fear and turmoil. And instead of standing firm and standing strong, we recoil and hide and ultimately stop trusting Christ. There's a huge opportunity to stand and to be a light, to shine forth Jesus. And we fail him. We shrink back. We hide and we cower and ultimately deny him. By words and actions, we are just the same as Peter. Jesus knew that his disciples would do this. It was a natural human response to fear in the face of soldiers, guards, magistrates. Here we see Peter, Jesus being arrested, his world seemingly crashing down, faced with trial and turmoil. Peter, the great Peter, actually responds as expected, kind of normal kind of how I have at times, fear, doubt, and denial. This morning, we have a great opportunity to learn from Peter and Jesus. To see what brought him to a place, to possibly see some of his missteps along the way that led him to the moment, probably the worst moment in his life. The most disappointing moment of his life where he denies his Savior. So this morning, let's learn from Peter. The first misstep uh, that I want to point to is Peter thought he knew the way. Peter thought he knew the plan. Instead of uh, trusting God's way, he imposed his own way. How many of you know, like, that's, that's the same thing that I do all the time. I think I know the plan. I, th- I have a plan of what God should do in my life. I know that this step leads to this step, and this step leads to this step, and that ultimately, this is where I'm going to be. But how many of you know, like, God doesn't always work in my own way, in my own time? It's frustrating, isn't it? Peter couldn't grasp the fact that Jesus 
The Messiah, that Jesus, King Jesus, would suffer and die. Do you remember the story in Matthew 16? Starting in verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And on the third day be raised. Get this. Verse 22, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, okay, does this make you uncomfortable? This makes me uncomfortable. Like, I'm like... Peter, come on. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord! Exclamation point. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Okay, I'm not sure, but that's a pretty bad one. Okay? When God calls you Satan, that's a pretty bad one. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter thought he knew the plan. That's what he's saying in this. Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. The plan is this. You're king, you're going to come, and you're going to kick some Roman butt. You're going to establish your kingdom, and we're going to rule forever. Far be it from you, this will never happen. Stop saying that. Jesus clearly says, you've got your mind on the things of man, not of God. The Father has a plan, and I am here to do the will of the Father. I am following the Father's plan. I didn't even come to do my own will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. And you, Peter, you've got your mind on the things of man, not the things of God. The disciples, all the followers of Jesus, they had a plan in mind for what Jesus would do, right? As I alluded to, Rome is the bad guy. They're the occupier. They're the oppressor. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the coming king in the line of David. He's here to eradicate Rome. He's here to set us free. And so they show up with swords in the garden. It must be go time. Let's lop off some ears. Jesus says, no, 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 right? He heals, the, heals this, the, the soldier. He says, put your swords away. That's not the plan. That's not the way. The only way to set you free is to drink the cup my Father has given me, as it says in verse 11. Shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? You think the plan is political. You think the plan is governmental. It's way bigger. It's way deeper than that. It's spiritual and it's eternal. The oppressor isn't Rome. It's sin. And the consequence of your sin is the wrath of God. But here's the plan. I'm going to shed my blood to cover and remove your sin. And I'm going to drink the cup of wrath from the Father, the cup that belongs to you. And I'm going to satisfy the Father and fulfill the plan. Peter thought he knew the plan. But we, having the gospel in front of us, we can see that the plan was bigger and deeper. So often, like, we're the same way. We wrestle for our way. We wrestle. Like, have you ever looked at your spouse or your kids and go, like, why would you do that that way? (laughs) Why would you do that like that? We do this with God all the time. We have an idea of how things should go, of how God should orchestrate life and situations. And unfortunately, 
I've seen believers walk away. I've seen people who have claimed Christ walk away from him because God didn't do it the way they thought he should. Get to election time, and my guy was the righteous pick. God, what are you doing? What are you up to? This isn't how it was supposed to go. So I doubt, I despair, and I deny. You have that new job, you have that job interview, you've got that job opportunity in front of us. I was perfect for it. It was more money, more opportunities. God, what are you doing? We doubt, we despair, and we deny. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe some of you young people in here, right? Like, you think, like, here's, here's the way my life was supposed to go. I was supposed to meet the man of my dreams. I was supposed to meet the woman of my dreams. God, what are you doing? Doubt, despair, deny. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 remind us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, declares the Lord. For as high or as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the first misstep of Peter was that he wasn't yielding to the plan of God. Learn from Peter. Learn from Peter. Stop imposing your way and yield yourself to the plan of God. Trust him. And in his plan, trust in his plan, and you will have peace. Second misstep of Peter was that he was a little too self-reliant. You read Peter, right? You read about Peter, and that guy, he's a bit of a firecracker. Talked about this a little bit. He often speaks when he should listen. He's often quite sure of himself. Anybody else in here a little bit sure of yourself? Got things put together, got things figured out? Story in Matthew 26. We read part of it earlier today. I'm going to read more of it here. Verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. We just read that. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd uh, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse 32 says, But after I'm going to, I raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter answered him. Here's Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter's parents must have told him often how special he was. <laughs> Verse 34, Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I... Okay, Jesus just said, he just told him what was going to happen. And he still like has the audacity to like retort, like Peter said, even if I must die for die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. See, Peter was very self-assured, self-reliant. He thought he was exceptional in his devotion. They might all deny you, but I will never. I'm exceptional. My devotion is deeper to you, Jesus. My following is real, Jesus. They might all fail you, but even if it means I, will, I must die, I will not deny you. Here, Peter, here's your foot. Put it in your mouth. Mere hours after this declaration of his deep devotion to Christ, a servant girl 
questions him. A servant girl, not some big, bad, imposing soldier. Not a chief priest in elaborate clothes and in imposing stature. Not a governor or someone with prestige. A servant girl questions him, and he denies that he knows him. See, I'm playing up Peter's foolishness here, but we do the exact same thing. Don't be so foolish to think that your devotion keeps you in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Don't be so foolish to think your devotion keeps you in Christ Jesus. Because when things go well, we end up with pride. And when things don't go well, and our devotion wavers, we end up in despair and worry. The thing that keeps us in Christ Jesus is Christ Jesus. The thing that keeps us in Christ Jesus is his mercy, his grace, and his care. The only thing that we bring to this relationship, and I alluded to it earlier, the only thing that we bring to this relationship is sin, brokenness, and weakness. It's the only thing you bring to Jesus. And that's what he wants. Jesus brings everything good. He brings grace. He brings power. He brings salvation. Remember Paul's declaration in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, But he said to me, Christ responds to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is when he's talking about his thorn in his flesh. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The only thing we bring to Christ is weakness and brokenness, and that's beautiful. Because in that weakness, the power of Christ, the strength of Christ, the work of Christ is put on display which is our purpose, right? I'm tired of church pe- people being church people, putting on their perfect little church faces like we got it all put together. We're all, we got this whole thing figured out. That's what Peter did. Because in our weakness, in our sharing of our struggles, we had a beautiful moment at our, at our house on Friday night in our, in our worship and prayer time around the fire. Come on out next Friday, or excuse me, next first Friday, next month. Come worship with us. Come pray with us. You can put your weakness on display and allow then the work of Christ to be manifest in you. Because in our weakness, he is strong. He is put on display. It's beautiful. It's the, it's the, it's the design of God. Because what keeps us in Christ is Christ, not our own devotion, not our own perfection. Think about John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, right? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's Jesus who keeps us. That's Jesus who keeps us in his care. Jude chapter 1, verse 24, this is the very closing of the book of Jude. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's the one who keeps us from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep us from stumbling. We are kept in Christ Jesus by Christ Jesus. Cast yourself on the feet of Jesus. Third misstep of Peter is that he failed to persevere in prayer. If you go back in the, in the, in the book, uh, excuse me, in the, uh, in the garden, John chapter 18, right? The beginning of this chapter, right? He goes to the garden, and, and actually in John, we don't really get that recording of the, all the details of it. If you look back in Matthew chapter 26, again, we were there earlier, but verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, right? That's the garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Anybody there? Nodding off on the couch with your Bible in your hands, like trying to like, I got to pray, I got to keep praying. Found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, that you won't be tempted, that you won't be tempted to doubt, that you won't be tempted to despair, that you won't be tempted to deny and fall away this night. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Prayer is such a strange thing. Pastor Tommy and I have talked about this numerous times. Like what we Christians believe is crazy. What we like, there's a lot of what we believe that's crazy, but something as simple and essential as prayer, if you really think about it, it's crazy talk. What you're telling me is that there was, like, we believe that there's power in prayer, right? And that prayer changes things. I had a professor in college that used to say, prayer moves the hand of God. And we believe it. It's why we do it. It's why we, like, when we read the scriptures and the call to prayer, like, we believe that, and if you think about it, it's crazy. Now, when I close my eyes and I say some words, and maybe not, not even out loud, like I close my eyes and I think some words in my head, it affects things out here. Like, that's crazy. Like, it affects the natural world in which we live. Things happen. Brokenness is mended. Bodies are healed. Hearts are softened because I engage my mind in prayer. I engage my heart in prayer. That something happens in the spirit realm that affects this natural world. It's because we're not just saying words out loud or, or to ourselves in our head, but we're engaging a living God who is spirit and rules over all both in the natural world and in the supernatural. And we have this beautiful gift of prayer, of entering into the supernatural through something as simple as prayer, lifting hearts 
and thoughts and words to our living God, and he hears us, and he cares. And don't think this weird, but it's like prayer allows us to cross over between this natural realm and a spiritual, uh, supernatural realm, which is actually where our battle lies. That's where our battle lies. That's where the battle is fought. That's where we win or lose is in this supernatural, in the spiritual realm. Peter fell into temptation. He was filled with fear and doubt and despair and ultimately denial because he failed to fight in the spirit through prayer. Think about Paul's instructions in Ephesians chapter 6. Right? We know this passage. This is the whole armor of God. It starts off in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Be strong in who? The Lord, in the strength of who? His might. It's not you, be strong in you. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's weird stuff. That's weird, supernatural stuff. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. You want to stand firm in the face of trial? You want to stand firm in the face of temptation? You want to stand firm when there are soldiers and weapons and lanterns and chief priests standing in front of you? Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit. With prayer, supplication, to that end, Keep alert, keep alert with all perseverance. Like Jesus said, watch and pray, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare boldly as I ought to speak. We must pray. We must be a people of prayer persevering in prayer because our battle is spiritual and we must engage by spiritual means. I've said it before. I'll say it again because I want to encourage you guys. Engage in prayer. Not just alone. Not just in your own devotional times. Not just in your own prayer closet at home. But engage in corporate prayer settings. Come together with the body. Spirit-led. House worship and prayer. Those type events where we can battle with and for each other in the spirit realm. Our battle is not of this world. It is of a different world. And we have the beautiful gift of prayer that crosses over and we can battle in the spirit realm equipped by the spirit alive in us. Peter failed to persevere in prayer. And when Satan's agent showed up, he wasn't ready to fight. When Judas showed up with the soldiers and the chief priests and the, and, and the, 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 uh, the temple guards, 
He wasn't ready to fight. And actually, he wasn't ready to fight. He, he actually failed to understand the actual battle. That's why he lopped off a guy's ear. He fell into temptation and he denied his Lord. Know the battle, fight accordingly. Know the battle, fight accordingly through prayer. Fourth misstep, Peter, that ultimately led to him denying the Lord is that he feared man rather than God. We must fear God and not man. Any people pleasers in here? I have a tendency towards that. I've, I definitely, especially early on, I had a tendency. I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at this. I don't care as much what you think about me, which, praise God, that's a good thing for me. What people think about me, I, I care less now. Maybe it's old man, like, coming out in me. My wife keeps telling me, like, you got to watch out when you get older because you're losing your filter. I'm losing my filter. She's a little nervous to grow old with me, I think, at this point. We always used to say, we're going to sit on the porch and we're going to sip lemonade. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be beautiful. But now it's like, sip lemonade on the porch and I'm probably going to be like, like. In the midst of the soldiers, the torches and the weapons, the threat from these soldiers, the threat of maybe two being arrested, standing before the high priest, Maybe being put to death, Peter was gripped by fear. Fear of what man might do, and ultimately it led him to denying Christ. Again, another passage in Matthew, another teaching from Jesus. Verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Do not fear, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. There is deep, deep freedom found in fearing God and not fearing man. There's deep freedom when you no longer uh, assess what people might think of you or what they might say or what they might do to you. There's deep freedom when you wholeheartedly trust God's word and simply do it and not first assess all the consequences of actually obeying. It's a big, like, that's a big part of why we don't obey, obey God's word. Like, that's how we do anything in our lives. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to first assess all the potential outcomes, all the potential consequences, and it then determines whether or not I'm going to do this. And unfortunately, that's why we don't share Jesus with people, because we assess the possible outcomes and we go, that's going to be awkward, or they're going to make fun of me, or they're going to think poorly of me, so I keep my mouth shut and I don't obey God's word. There is freedom, so much freedom in fearing God and not fearing man. There is so much freedom when I actually read God's word, take it for what it's worth, and do it. Not caring about whatever consequences, knowing that God put his word out there for me, put it in my heart to do, and that if I do it, he will bless it. 
He will care for me. No matter what man may try to do to me, God has me in his hands. In the book of John, and studying the book of John, this has become so alive to me. The idea of believing in him. Like, I, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for 20 years. Serving in church ministry for 20 years since I was a goofball college kid. And like in the last year and a half, the idea of believing on him has taken on new life. That I truly believe on him, which means I truly believe in his word and just do it and trust him with the outcome. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to believe on him. I don't assess all of the outcomes and go, if I do this, they're going to do this to me. If I do this, they're going to think this of me. If I do this, and then it determines whether or not I do it, and then I end up in disobedience. But I read it, I trust him, I believe on him, and I do it and trust him with the outcome. There is freedom in wholeheartedly trusting God, fearing God, and not fearing man. Peter feared man in this moment, and it led him to denying Christ. But how many of you know this is not where Peter's story ends? Right? We've all had those moments in our life where we go, ah, that was a bad moment. That was maybe the worst moment of my life. The one who did so much for me, the one who purchased me with his blood, I just flat out denied him. Doesn't have to end there. Peter's story doesn't end there. You go into the book of Acts and you read through the book of Acts and Peter becomes this dynamic preacher. Actually, in Acts chapter 5, there's this beautiful story where he is standing before the same high priest who just killed Jesus. And listen to this. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they, stood, uh, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you to not teach in, his, in this name. And here, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What's the difference? What happened to Peter? You go from the garden and denying Christ to a servant girl and a couple of guys huddled around a fire. To, to a short time later, standing boldly before the high priest, the same people who you feared, the same people who you cowered and hid from, and you stand there and you boldly profess Christ. Look at chapter 4. There's a beautiful sermon in chapter 4. And of course, sermons Peter in, uh, sermons Peter. Peter's sermon in chapter 2. What happened? The Holy Spirit came on him. The Holy Spirit came over him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus promised. And so this, this Peter, who was 
scared and denying. It's filled with the living God, the Holy Spirit of God. Power comes over him. He preaches. Thousands come to Christ that day. A few chapters later, he's standing before the, the majesty. He's standing before the chief priests, and he boldly proclaims Christ and doesn't care what's going to happen to him. It's because the power of God was over him. It's because the Spirit of God was inside of him. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There's so many, so many Christians that are just content with, with arm's length living to the Word of God and arm's length living to the Spirit of God. We're content with this, this comfortable little relationship where it's a little bit of morality, it's a little bit of religion, it's a little bit of tradition, it's I'm a little bit more moral than my neighbors. Instead of a wholehearted yielding to the Word of God, Fearing God and a wholehearted yielding to the Spirit of God. Saying, fill me to overflowing. Fill me to overflowing. I am your instrument, O Lord, to the glory of your name. So that's my prayer for us. You may have had many missteps like Peter. We all have. But I thank God that's not the end of his story. The Spirit of God comes on him, and he is so instrumental in the birth of the church. What's your story going to be? What's our story going to be? Wholehearted obedience to the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God? Or are we too going to cower and hide and just play church and put on our smiley face? It's not my prayer. My hope is that we become fully obedient fully empowered by the Spirit of God. We're going to pray. Nate's going to come. We're going to sing. Respond to the Holy Spirit accordingly. This is now up to you. This is now between you and the Holy Spirit. If you need prayer, there's folks that would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Chris would love to pray with you. There's a prayer team folks that would love to pray with you. But let's respond to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit alive in your church. Continue to move us from where we are to a closer, deeper, more intimate relationship with you, more wholeheartedly committed to your word, fearing you, not fearing man, obedient to your word, not obedient to our own way, our own will, but fully obedient to you. God, forgive us for those moments where we thought we knew the plan and so we rebelled against yours. God, forgive us for those moments. God, forgive us for the moments where we were way too self-reliant where we thought it was our devotion and our goodness keeping us close to you, but it was in fact you and your great mercy towards us. God, forgive us for those moments where we didn't persevere in prayer, where we lost the battle because we were fighting on a whole different world, a whole different realm. We didn't fight in the spirit realm. We didn't take that beautiful gift of prayer. God, forgive us for those times where we fear men and not you. God, today I pray that you would fill us with your spirit just like you filled Peter and birthed your church. God, that you would fill this church with your spirit and that we would become fully, fully obedient to you. Not to our acclaim, not to Mercy Hill Church's acclaim, but to the, to the glory of Jesus. 
that we would be your church just as you intended. Help us to respond to you now. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, let's sing together.